Greetings, everyone. This is Heidi Kumjohn. Welcome back to another episode of Lifelong Podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. I know that all of you, well, most of you, I hope, are passionate about creating and designing a non-toxic home. As you know, I have done a lot of blog posts about this. I've done some different podcast episodes about this and created a bunch of social media content around designing and building a non-toxic home. But I wanted to further expand upon this subject, and there is someone in the industry that has been paving the way, no pun intended, for so many years. In fact, he got started on this path in the 90s. Can you imagine the non-toxic space in the 90s? I can't even imagine it. Anyways, this wonderful man's name is Andy Pace. Andy Pace is based in Waukesha, Wisconsin, actually 30 minutes from my hometown, and consults people on building and designing a non-toxic home. He is a healthy home concierge, founder of the Green Design Center, a leading resource for homeowners and contractors looking to source products that are healthy and green and receive expert consulting advice on designing and building a healthy green home. Andrew is the host of the weekly Non-Toxic Environments podcast. He is a worldwide expert on green and healthy building products and services customers and contractors from around the globe. As founder of the oldest healthy building supply company in the United States, Andy has become one of the single most helpful and educational experts in dealing with the day-to-day concerns of those individuals suffering from asthma, allergies, and chemical sensitivities. Oh my goodness, I could not be more excited to have this expert here today. I guarantee that you are going to leave this episode feeling hopeful and inspired about creating a healthy home. Please join me in welcoming Andy Pace. Hello, Andy. How are you? I am wonderful. How are you today? Good. Excited to have a Wisconsinite here. For the audience, Andy is based about 30 minutes from my hometown. So it's, we were just kind of connecting on that and yeah, super excited to have you here today, Andy. You are one of the leaders slash pioneers in the field of non-toxic home and building and all of that. So looking nice. forward to jumping into that today. Fantastic. I, I'm excited about this. And and obviously, of course, it makes it even better that I'm talking to a fellow Wisconsin. Over the years, I started this business 30-some years ago. And over the years, I've had so many people from around the world ask me, why did you start this business in Little Waukesha, Wisconsin? Why not in Seattle or in California or in North Carolina or in these places where green building over the years has just been exploding? And I said, well, first of all, I love it here. I'm not a big fan of the weather sometimes, but, you know, who is? I mean, unless you live in San Diego, there's really no perfect climate. Right. The nicest people, I think, in Wisconsin. Yes. Well, <laughs> and that's really it. I love the people here. I, I do love the state. I think it's an absolutely beautiful state. And I also said that if I can make it work here, that means that it's working everywhere. And so, because Wisconsin had been a little behind when it came to energy codes and, and healthy home building and so forth, going back 25, 30 years ago. 
And so I really wanted to make it a mission to to make Wisconsin one of the leading states for healthy building, not just trailing the rest of the country. Yeah, well, I'm so glad you did. And it's cool to know that, yeah, people were maybe saying, well, why aren't you in Seattle? Why aren't you in San Francisco? Why aren't you in these like uber green areas? But you kind of challenged that and you stood up for other areas that really needed some movement. We don't just want to have two cities in the country that are really paving the way for healthy home building. So I'm glad thought it out. I'm glad of that for that. Speaking of your journey, how did you end up on this? Because it's <laughs> it's very niche. It's very niche. And it's unlike most who are in this industry, I would say. So back in nineteen eighty nine, I started working for my family's commercial construction material supply company. And so it had been, it was started in Milwaukee in 1937. And so by the time, actually all through high school, and I, I was working in the family business, programming computers and doing odd jobs and whatnot. Hmm. And get out of, I, I finally get out of school and I say, I want to work for the family business. And my parents were somewhat reluctant because they wanted me to explore the world. And I just, I really love construction. I mean, I grew up at the dinner table. We didn't talk about school or sports. We always talked about architects and contractors Mm -hmm. and construction projects. And and so I just fell in love with it at an early age and decided that's what I wanted to do. About three years into this, I was managing a, a line of materials that it was products that were used for coatings, below grade waterproofing, real high performance coating materials. And we were supplying the a custom coating for a below-grade parking structure so that the concrete wouldn't be subject to degradation due to oil leaks and gas leaks and so forth. So it was a really high-performance coating, an epoxy coating. And, but it was water-based, so we got that one specified because water-based is safer. At least that's what we thought. Mm. Well, after a, the, applying the primer coat, we started getting phone calls from people living in the condos above. It was a, a 15, 16-story building in downtown Milwaukee. And so people were calling and complaining about the odors. Then we get a phone call from the office of a United States senator who also had a condo. That he was complaining about the odors. And so now you really start to think, oh, my gosh, what are we doing? And I think the absolute worst case that can happen is we had three of our own workers rush to the hospital because of ventilation complications. They couldn't breathe. Oh, my God. So we were literally poisoning our own workers, our customers, thinking that we were supplying a healthier product because it was Mm water-based. We knew it was an enclosed space, so we didn't want to use a solvent-based product. But then we learned out the hard way that, technically speaking, just because it's water-based just means that 50% of the liquid is water. The rest can be other types of solvents. And again, learn that the hard way. So this was 1992, 92, 93, just around the holidays. And we had to shut down the project and search around the country to try to find products that would do the same job but without the toxicity. Found a small little company in California called AFM. AFM okay. is a, a manufacturer of toxin-free, healthier paints and coatings designed for people with chemical sensitivity. I knew nothing about what those words meant <laughs> right, right at that time. All I knew 
was that they could help me finish the project, which they did. But then we started having a conversation about what this all actually means. I mean, who, what's chemical sensitivity? Why does anybody care about this? I mean, isn't water-based safe? All these things. Come to find out that there is an enormous population of the country that has chemical sensitivity, whether they know it or not. I learned all about things like environmental illness and sick building syndrome and 20th century disease and anything you want to call it, all kind of meant the same thing, that people were having bad reactions to synthetic chemicals. And it wasn't just because they didn't like the smell. It's because it actually would cause them to have health issues. And not just like saying, I developed cancer because of exposure to this, because that takes a long time. I'm talking about acute reactions ranging from flu-like symptoms, migraine, headaches, all the way to anaphylactic shock. Mm -hmm. And it just, it intrigued me, number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, I thought to myself, well, I've only been in this family business for a few years, and the last thing I want to do is now jeopardize all these decades of our family's business and the reputation we've, we've earned over those years by selling these these toxic products. And so I need to find a better way to do this. And it just dawned on me like, well, there's a, if there's a better way to co-create, there's got to be a healthier way to paint the walls of your house. There's got to be a healthier way to insulate the house. And just one thing led to another. Mm-hmm. And we developed a company selling, and at the time, the word green wasn't more than just a color, right? It, was, it wasn't the way of life as it, as it is now. But we developed these lists of materials that we would call healthy, common sense building materials. And that market just took off. When the Green Building Alliance started in the late 90s, we had already been at this for a while. And we thought, well, here we go. Now it's becoming a national thing, international thing. Well, they let out or let, let off the list human health. I mean, lead. The building program that they started, it was called Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design. It has nothing to do with health of the occupant. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, I'm not going to fight it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be with them. I was on their board of directors for many years. I helped co-author the Wisconsin Green Built Home Program. So I'm going to try to essentially affect things from the inside. And after years of beating my head against a wall, I thought it's never going to change. They're, they're not about human health. They're about energy efficiency and global environmental concerns, which mm-hmm. are fine, which are very important, but mm-hmm. it doesn't focus on the health of the occupants. And in our opinion, what good is saving the environment if we're still poisoning the occupants? Right. You know, we got to start with that first. And so that's been our my career-long mission and still is to this day. Wow, that is an incredible story. And the fact that you grew up in a construction family and mm-hmm. in that that industry, I my fiance works in the landscape architecture industry. So mm-hmm. he also has educated me on a lot of different things construction-wise. I still don't know much about construction, but what I do know is that it's very toxic. And so I'm grateful that with your background growing up and a lot of these like people in construction, you think there's maybe only one way to do things, but you, Mm. because of what you experienced with some of your employees and some of these residents at the condo building, you wanted better and you, 
which is probably like going against the grain in a certain way because you've only known what you've known up until that point and now you had to learn all these different things and it was the 90s like that that had to be incredibly challenging how did you educate yourself on this in the 90s because even now in 2023 it's tricky to learn. Well, I, I, in some respects, I think it's even more difficult now because there is so much information directly at our fingertips. Mm. And unfortunately, probably 75% of it is inaccurate. Mm. And so back then, and this is pre-internet, so I had to go to the library and, and learn. I had wow. to I had to interview manufacturers and do things the old-fashioned way and say what you want about it. I mean, it was good experience for me. It taught taught me how to sort of navigate through the BS that we get online. If you do a Google search for something, the first 50 things that will pop up will essentially be either ads or something sponsored by a manufacturer. There are so many bloggers that are out there still to this day, and they won't tell you this, of course, but they're getting paid to blog about a product. They don't actually have their own personal knowledge about it. They don't have their own research they can point to. They get some brochures. They learn about the product. They write a 800-word blog, and they get paid by the manufacturer. And then people read that blog and say, here's just this person who's who has nothing to do with the company saying how much they love that product. And the average person would believe that. Yeah. And so it, I, I had to do things differently, and I had to I had to do the old-fashioned research. And today it's tough to navigate through all those inaccurate words, but that's why I get hired as a consultant to essentially become that navigator and, and interpret all that stuff so that the client themselves can actually learn about what is right, what is wrong, and how it's going to affect them in their house. Yeah, well, I love the good old-fashioned library (laughs) (laughs) way of educating yourself. That's fun. So talk to the audience a bit more about some resources or some ways to, I guess, deal with this overwhelm because you get into this world and you realize this world of, you know, non-toxic home building, home design, or even just talks Mm -hmm. and education in general. Sometimes people feel really overwhelmed because they think everything is a toxin, like, what do I do? I guess, what is your number one advice or resources for those that feel so overwhelmed? Oh, boy. And that, that's a great question because I hear it from family and friends. Who yeah. I, I have a, a couple of good friends who they never cared about this. And they're professionals. They are highly educated professionals in the medical field. They never cared about these issues until they had their first child. And then they thought, And as they should, their life completely centers around their child. And what do I do to protect this child from the dangers of the... Now, it's impossible to protect them from everything, so you do what you can. But as soon as they start researching and then finding out accurate information about diet and environment and so forth, now it becomes... It's a rabbit hole that's very difficult to get out of. And so I end up taking phone calls from from clients who are in this and they'll start just rambling on and on and on about things. It's like, wait, wait, stop. You At this point, do you have any health issues, acute health issues from what's happened in your house? No, I don't. Perfect. Let's focus on that for a second. The fact that everybody in the house is healthy. Yes, I, I can argue that probably 
every surface of your home probably has some sort of off-gassing, but it's not affecting you. I, again, I, I've dealt with clients who had to live in one room of their house for years, and that one room was coated with aluminum foil, floors, walls, ceilings, everything, because they could not tolerate the off-gassing of any chemical whatsoever or would cause them to go into an anaphylactic shock. Hmm. So they had to coat everything with a material that was completely inert. Now, that's somebody who is extremely chemically sensitive and extremely sick. Mm -hmm. People who get really worked up about the possibility of that happening need to step back and, and take a deep breath and understand that, you know, obviously you don't want to get to that point, but if you're not at that point right now, then let's not believe we are. Let's not assume right. we are. And so what I will tell them is at this point, if there are no health issues with anybody in the house and there's nothing that you need to fix up around the house, you don't need new countertops or cabinetry or remodeling the bathroom or what have you, then just don't start spending money to fix up what isn't actually harming you right now. But if you're going to do a little remodeling, if you're going to fix up the kitchen, now's the time we can talk about incorporating healthier options so we're not exposing the family to all these new potential toxins. Mm. And so a lot of it is kind of talking them off that ledge, so to speak, of the world is falling apart. And in some respects, I, I agree. But I also say that it's a lot better than you think. I think if you get mired in all of the bad stuff that's potentially out there, and if it's not really physically affecting you at this moment, I think there are bigger fish to fry. And so yeah. I have probably pushed away sales in my life that I've received because I just didn't think it was right for me to take somebody's money when they didn't need to do this right now. There are other things they need to work on. And so I, I think a lot of my time is spent on that, kind of more of the, the psychological approach to if we even need to do anything in our homes. Yes, I can argue that everybody's home can be healthier, mm-hmm. but let's do it at a, a reasonable pace. Totally. Yeah. I mean, baby steps are essential, mm-hmm. I think, in all areas. Non-toxic living, my show right. podcast Lifelong is all about non-toxic living, and I'm trying to remove, mm-hmm. help people remove that overwhelm from it. But I, I like to remind my audience and my community about the importance of going one step at a time, not to read all this information or just absorb this information and and think, oh my God, like I'm going to get cancer or I'm going to get mold illness or whatever. I I like to encourage people to switch out products. Yes, home stuff is going to be bigger ticket items, more expensive. But with some of the people that I talk to, my audience, it's like, hey, okay, There's a lot of toxins in your cosmetics, but Mm -hmm. what you can do instead of throwing out all of your personal care products, when you run out, upgrade, upgrade your shampoo to a healthier option. And then when you run out of Mm -hmm. your toothpaste, upgrade that. It's it's really about that journey, which it Mm -hmm. seems that you have a kind of an aligned vision and helping people realize like, hey, this is a journey. This is not 
a go spend all your money, throw everything out kind of thing. So that's really great. And I'm sure that people really appreciate that and then feel really grounded. Well, I, I think it's it's a reality. I think that there are a lot of folks who, again, they read about these things, they start to get afraid, rightfully so, and they just want to switch out everything right away. And it just doesn't make sense. I mean, this is where I, I start thinking about about this from the, now a green or sustainable direction. If you have new flooring in your house and it's not affecting you, don't switch out your flooring because now you're throwing away all this beautiful flooring material to put in something else. If it's affecting you, it's a different story. And we can have that conversation. But right now, I'd rather look at other things. Now, on the flip side of this, I also have to tell people who do have severe sensitivities, sometimes you want to switch out materials slowly from that perspective as well, because you don't want to inundate them with a potential for a, a toxin or a potential odor coming from 15 new things because now we can't figure out which one is the culprit. So we'll have to go through sort of a process of elimination. If I have somebody who mm. suffers from... It's like a food. Yeah, right. Exactly. You need to be be mindful of how you're taking things out mm -hmm. and putting them back in so you know which one is actually the culprit. Mm -hmm. And we do the exact same thing with building materials. It's, it's somebody who has a mast cell activation or a chronic inflammation response. If you were to now build a new kitchen and you have 14 new things in that kitchen and something's causing you a, a reaction, we wouldn't know what it is. So we have to be really methodical of, of how we introduce new materials back into the house. So that, that makes a lot of sense. For those with MCAS or SIRS, or just mm -hmm. those individuals that are highly sensitive. Do mm -hmm. you see, and I know everyone is, it's all bio-individualized, but do you see a general area affecting those people the most? Like a certain, whether that's flooring or wall coverings, or is there a certain material or category that oh. is more triggering than others, generally speaking? Yeah, this is a, a point of discussion that I think we it's still evolving. Back 25 years ago, there wasn't anything. We didn't know about SIRS or MCAS. We just, we heard of chemical sensitivity, MCS. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I was first getting really in-depth into this, speaking with a client who was actually fairly close with some of the people on the board of the American Medical Association. And they, this client was telling me that Within two years, the American Medical Association is going to list multiple chemical sensitivity as a documented disease that they have to now educate for in medical school. And I thought, wow, that is going to take this to all new levels. And now all of a sudden, the world's going to know all about this. It never was. It never was added. And I couldn't understand why they didn't until, again, later in, in, in my journey in this industry, in this business, I, I learned that the consensus had shifted from MCS being a disease itself to MCS being a symptom of an underlying disease, of another underlying issue, whether it's Lyme's disease or MCAS or, or Sears or something like that. Mm. And dysautonomia was another one that was brought up. And so, and that actually makes more sense to me, that chemical sensitivity is a symptom. Now, the problem with chemical sensitivity as a symptom is there are folks who have 
actual multiple chemical sensitivity where they are universal reactors and any chemical that's petrochemically related to the one that caused them the overload initially will also cause the same response. Whether it has an odor to it or not doesn't matter. It can be completely odorless to even to them and they'll still have a reaction. With chronic inflammation or mast cell activation, it's not as much about the chemical itself, but about the odor. It's about the a strong odor causing a reaction. And so I, I'm finding that there are I have to take this approach now with clients that I'm not questioning their health issues whatsoever. Believe me, it's the last thing I'd ever do. But I have to question how they react because they could just as easily go down to a hardware store, buy a gallon of zero VOC paint from one of the big brands that's loaded with toxins still, but they also add in what are called chemical masking agents to hide the smell. Hmm. So they put it on, they think there's no smell, and therefore they have no reaction. But yet I know that they that these paints have still have toxins in them and they say they don't have a reaction. So I have to say, well, okay, is it and so I have to walk on that on that edge of I, I I'm not saying it's in your head, but your brain is telling you to go into fight or flight if they if you smell something. So on the flip side then, just because something has a strong smell doesn't actually mean that it's dangerous. And so this is when we talk about things like neural retraining and other ways to actually retrain the brain to discern the difference between what is actually dangerous and what is just a, a false flag, we'll call it. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's it's been very difficult the last few years. Again, the more information that's on the internet, the more difficult it is because people only read a portion of the story and they don't really understand the whole concept that they're trying to relay over. Mm-hmm. So it, it is a little tougher, but we have to have that discussion. Like, are, are you actually reacting to an odor and therefore you just assume it's bad for you? Or are you reacting to an actual toxin that has no smell? Mm. Yeah, that's, there's a lot of, lot of layers there. And everyone, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure, varies so greatly. Mm-hmm. I'm very sensitive to chemicals and curious to hear your thoughts about this. This is, this is different. It regards air travel. Okay. And... I notice that I have a reaction when I'm on an airplane and I'm not sure if it's like the cleaning agents or it's just the bosiers from everyone else that's on the airplane. But yeah, so that that's a weird thing that's been going on with me. I'm on an airplane and then my throat starts to itch and I'm kind of short of short of breath. But yeah, your your thoughts just kind of got me thinking about that. I think that that's an interesting interesting thought though because generally speaking we we know of airlines having some of the cleanest air because of yeah. all the the purification process that it has to go go into to recirculate that air. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I think that there's something to be said about manufacturing oxygen. Oh. And they add oxygen into the air in on an airplane obviously, in the pressurization process. Oxygen, just like any other element at higher doses, can be dangerous. I mean, water is toxic at high doses. Ozone, which is completely harmless at low levels, in higher levels, if it doesn't react to a, a chemical in the air in about, it has a half-life, about seven and a half minutes, it reacts to itself to create oxygen, turns back into oxygen. 
And so it actually elevates the amount of oxygen in a space. So it's it's not necessarily the ozone per se that's dangerous, but the high amount of oxygen. Oh, interesting. And so I think that could be part of it. The fact that maybe your throat is reacting to a higher percentage of oxygen in the space. Huh. Really fascinating. I've never even, <laughs> I never knew that about the oxygen, that elevated levels of oxygen could be detrimental. Going to look into that. Well, if you're ever in a hospital and had oxygen to the nose after surgery or something like that, mm-hmm. and your throat gets really dry, oh. and it's usually because of that. Yeah, that's probably what it is then. Okay, well, I digress. Thank you for your, your answer on that. That was I, I said we were going to stick to uh, non-toxic home building, and here I go That's all right. talking about airplanes. It, it goes everywhere. <laughs> so another big concern with people in general when it comes to having a healthy home is price and being on a budget. Mm-hmm. What are some areas for those that, that do want to invest into a healthier home? What are some areas or products to invest in? Where would be a good place to start? Well, I'll answer that question two ways. First of all, I'll say that when it comes to comparing the pricing of healthy building materials versus traditional building materials, Mm -hmm. you have to also compare quality level. Most often, healthier building materials will be of a higher quality than what's normally used. And so if you compare quality to quality, now you're talking about basically it's it's about virtually the same pricing. But if you're comparing a toxin-free paint at $70 a gallon, like an AFM safe coat, to, you know, big box stores $29.99 special, it'll never obviously price out the same because the quality is just vastly different. Now you'd have to compare to something like Benjamin Moore Aura, which is about $80 a gallon to compare the quality level, you certainly won't get the low toxicity like in the safe coat, mm-hmm. but you'll get the same quality level. Now that said, side of a home, 90% of the toxic or potentially dangerous off-gassing from the building materials will come from the things you see and touch on a daily basis. In order, it's going to be flooring materials, your wall and ceiling finishes, your cabinetry and other wood built in, and then your own personal furnishings, your furniture, window treatments, area rugs, things of that nature. So I always like to talk about those big items first, because sure, for people who have extreme sensitivities, we've got to talk about the little bit of caulking material that's behind the baseboard. We've got to talk about these very minute areas that could be huge problems, potential problems down the road. But generally speaking, for most people, by focusing on flooring, wall finishes, cabinetry, and furniture, you'll take care of 90% of the problems. Wow. That makes sense, too, because it's just surface area, too. It's the largest area. Exactly yeah. right. Now, the the cabinetry, it, it kind of surprises people when I mention that one, even because the, there's not a lot of cabinets in your house. Is that because of Can, the in surface like, plywood area. in the shelves? or? Yeah. It's the plywood, it's the finishes that they use, and it's not just, there's not a large area of that in a house. Mm -hmm. The 2% of the overall wall space is taken up by cabinets, but 
it's the fact that every day we're opening these cabinets directly into our face. Mm. And they're closed up for 24 hours or longer. Essentially, that off-gassing just kind of builds up and builds up, and we open up the door and just right in our face. Oh, my gosh. And so... We have to. We do have to talk about things like that from a, a building healthier cabinets. And manufacturers are getting better, mm-hmm. but there's still a lot of improvements that could be made. Mm. Well, I can't wait to come to you when I am building or renovating a home. I'm in the process of looking for a home right now, so nice. I will will be contacting you or going to your your website. At the very least. <laughs> we, we'll, we'll help you remodel it healthy, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, because I am one of those sensitive individuals, un- un- mm-hmm. unfortunately. Also, <laughs> I should say fortunately, too, because that's how I got yes. into this path and my career. So, Well, you know, actually, when I was telling my story of how I got into this business, I alluded to the fact that I'm different than most. And, and, and so most who are doing this actually have sensitivities themselves, and they, they don't come at it from a a construction architectural background like I do. Mm-hmm. They come at it from a an individual who have been suffering with these with these issues for years and they just learned what worked for them. Mm-hmm. I can see it both ways. I think somebody who has sensitivities educating the world on on here's what you don't want to have. Here's what you don't want to end up with. So be careful. And you know, obviously it goes into much more detail than that. I think that's vastly important. I also think it's important to have somebody like me who is not coming at it from that direction. I'm coming at it from the standpoint of I know it works from a building standpoint, from an architectural standpoint. I don't have any, I don't let my personal reactions dictate how I recommend things to customers. Somebody hires me as a consultant to help them design and build a new home. I am giving them the facts and then we get the, the customer gets educated about all the options and then based upon their own personal sensitivities based upon what's going to work from a from a budget standpoint from an aesthetic standpoint structural standpoint we make the decision on the best way to go unfortunately i think that there have been some consultants over the years who will say well this never worked for me so i'm not even going to recommend this mm. well as probably better than most that just because something works well for you doesn't mean the next it'll work for and vice versa. Something didn't work well for you and you wonder how come everybody else who has the exact same issue I have can use this, but I can't. Mm -hmm. And so, and, but that's what you deal with with chemical sensitivity. It's not the same from person to person. It's vastly different. Again, it's so similar to to the food thing, being sensitive to certain foods. And I think what's going to happen is, 20 years from now, we're going to learn that this is all based upon DNA. This is all genetics. And we're going to find out that there is a a genetic predisposition for people who have sensitivities to certain types of fabrics and sensitivities to certain types of plastics. And But we just don't know enough. There hasn't been enough research dollars thrown out there. But we're getting there. Things are, are so much more improved than they were even just five years ago. I mean, mm-hmm. five, 10 years ago, we didn't have a, a genetic test to tell us whether we have the predisposition for mold sensitivity. I was we just going to say now. that. I was going to say there is the the yep. HLA-DR gene for mold. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so 
now that we can talk about something like that, well, it makes it makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. And so why would it make perfect sense? I, I can pay $25 to Ancestry.com and they can tell me that I'm supposed to have blue eyes and blonde hair just based upon my genetics. Well, I do. And, and so they could they should also be able to tell me that I have a sensitivity to this and that. Yeah. And so that will come. It'll just be a matter of time. Yeah. Huh. That, that makes sense. I mean, it's here for mold. Mm-hmm. And it actually right. explaining that there is that gene for mold predisposed people to being sensitive to mold or to mold mm-hmm. toxicity, that I think helps people understand why not all people in the same house are having a right. reaction to the mold. And that's right. why with mold, and mold is a whole separate thing. Oh my <laughs> goodness. I lived through it. Mold illness. Very mm. horrible. Horrible thing. I don't recommend. Mm. But it's very isolating because there are people that they have this whole family or they have all these roommates and no one is having a reaction, but they feel like they're dying. And then they're told they're crazy because no one else is having a reaction. So, right. yeah, crazy, crazy. Mm-hmm. Understanding the genetics sure. is, is a helpful, helpful component. Exactly. Yeah. So do you have any closing resources to share with the audience? Where can everyone find you? Obviously, you have a lot of great offerings when it comes to consulting people. You have your online website, all of that. Where where can people find you? What are some closing resources to lead them with? Sure. Well, I think the best way to find me would be to go to the website, thegreendesigncenter.com. From there, you can listen to my podcast. It's called Non-Toxic Environments. You can hire me as a consultant. You can certainly look at, we have a couple thousand products online to peruse. Our website, it's not the end-all, be-all of what is healthy in, in the world. It is simply a collection of materials that I've curated over time, knowing that the majority of chemically sensitive clients who have used these materials have done well with them. Yes, there there should there could have been or can be many more products out there. We just haven't tested them all ourselves and we don't have enough feedback. Sometimes people will say, well, have you heard of this brand of paint or that brand of flooring? Yes, I have, but I can't really talk on it because I haven't had enough people come back to me over the years and say, it's worked really well for me. This is something you should carry. And so, but we'll get there. I think that's a really ethical approach, too. Well, thank you. Our customers are the most important part of our company. And if they're telling us this is something that has worked really well for them over the years, generally speaking, then I can feel better about bringing it to market for everybody. Mm -hmm. It's like people ask, where do you go to learn about this stuff? Is there something that I could listen to or read that would teach me what you, what, what you know or what I know. No, it's experience. It's uh, it, Again, I, I didn't start with the internet. I started with books and then, then I started with clients and, and learning from them and then eventually the internet. But it's, it's all about experience and learning what has worked and what hasn't worked. I learn still to this day after 30 years and working with about 35,000 customers over my career who have chemical sensitivity, I've learned from each and every one of them something that I was able to pass along to the next person. Mm. And so I think it's it requires a lot of listening, 
I think you have to put your own pride and ego down and say, well, just because maybe I didn't know this, maybe somebody else is teaching me something that I, I didn't know before. And especially for those who have been suffering from MCS for such a long time, because understandably, they are so, they're jaded by their own experiences. I'm not saying jaded in a bad way. I'm saying they are so fearful of anything causing a reaction that they just don't believe anything will work. And the best thing they can do is actually try to trust somebody again and trust something again and find somebody who you can trust, somebody who is saying the things that you understand and and you can appreciate. There are more people that are talking about this, and I think that's fantastic. Ten years ago, before podcasting really took off, I was one of the only people in, in the world talking about this. And now I love it. I can come on shows like yours and and you have so much more knowledge of things than I do in 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 different avenues. I mean, it's great. I, I love it. And and I, this is how Thank we you. spread this information around and, and we all have to be a part of the solution. Absolutely. Oh, so 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 well said. Thank you. And I'm going to link <laughs> your website and your podcast in the show notes so everyone can easily access that. It's just beautiful that you've also helped thousands of people. That is is really cool. And yeah, thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. My pleasure. One more thing before you go. Are you subscribed to Lifelong Podcast? Have you left a rating and review? Are you following along on Instagram at lifelong underscore pod and at holistic with Heidi? If you're not doing so already, consider doing it to support our show and to help spread this message near and far. Thank you all, and we'll see you next week.